Sports Radio 1043 The Fan. Every Saturday morning, it's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Terry takes you inside the outdoors. You know, hunting, fishing, camping. It's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Now, here's Terry. All right, we're back, and it is my privilege to go to the phones and talk to a gentleman who has actually been a quite good friend of mine for for more years than probably either one of us wants to wants to admit to Mr. Ice Fishing, Dave Gens. You know, Dave, it's it's been a few days that we've known each other. Yeah, you bet. Hey, uh, kind of an era is the fish traps were still wooden when we met. Yeah, we go back. I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, it's hard to believe that we're both only thirty five and we can go back to the early eighties, right? Yeah. Trouble is, we got a double that plus. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we do. I'll tell you what, we're going to talk about some new things, and I think in particular you want to talk about picking out a rod, which I think is one of the most is- misunderstood pieces of equipment in ice fishing. But we can never start a conversation, you and I, without at least reminiscing a little bit back to how this all changed back in what we refer to as the revolution when guys like you came forward and really revolutionized the way we approach it and the equipment. And then people like Greg Claudio and myself and Doug Stange, we kind of jumped on your coattails and we, we really changed the face of ice fishing, didn't we? Uh, you bet. It was, you know, I, I'd like to re- refer to that as uh, the stone age of ice fishing when we were using sticks and clubs and, you know, and, and we refined it and, and used our modern equipment, graphite rods, and, you know, now it's electric augers. In fact, I'm here in, at the Dakota Ice Institute in Sioux Falls, South Dakota right now at the convention center, and there's thousands of excited people here about ice fishing, and it's really fun to see that. Well, I think when when the portable shelters, especially the flip-over designs, the fish trap that you, you, you invented, and the use of electronics took ice fishing really, like you said, out of the dark ages— where now we could move around. We weren't, you know, it used to be we'd sit over a hole because we didn't want to move and pack our stuff up, and we'd, we'd say they're either biting or they weren't. We didn't know if there was even fish there. And then when you, you added in electronics to that, it was just amazing. I mean, people who, modern-day ice fishermen, I don't think even comprehend that. No, we went from, uh, you know, fishing and to catching is what really happened at the, in that time. We could go out and at noon and, and catch some fish instead of, you know, fishing, waiting until the sun went down. Yeah. And, we, you know, it, it's, it's just totally exciting to, to, you know, see how popular it is now. I think my most favorite thing to do when we first started doing this was to go to some of the lakes where people pull their big, their big ice houses, their big fish houses out. And, you know, those are big. They're comfortable. They had great big stoves in them, heaters. Some of them had TV. But they'd pull them out with the truck and leave them there, and the fish never knew where they were located, Dave. <laughs> yeah, that's it. The fish didn't know where the fish houses were, did they? <laughs> no, they didn't. And we went out, and we attacked these lakes. In fact, we used to call them trap attacks, where we would actually go out and attack these lakes very much like we would do in our boats, right? Exactly. You know, and, you know some of our new electronics now make, makes that even easier with your, your live scope and your side scanning stuff that you know we're fishing over the top of the fish most of the time no it really does now we're going to spend the next few weeks we're going to talk a lot about ice fishing equipment getting ready um and i know we want to talk about rods and reels i'll ask you a question i've been asking everybody in the industry 
How do you see the supplies? Are the manufacturers going to be able to supply what they need, or should people be buying early? Well, I certainly see that here at the show. There's, you know, people are buying, uh, you know, well, like the Silky, one of my, my new uh, inventions or lures. I mean, they don't buy a couple. They buy the whole peg, you know. So now they're, so now we're sold out. You know, it's, it's kind of like the toilet paper a few years back. You know, and I see that in ice fishing is that, yes, there's out there now, but, you know, the, the warehouses at, in you know, the factories, they're not getting the stuff in, so it can't get to the store. So yeah. kind of a crazy times we live in, but. They certainly seem to be buying because everybody's walking out with a bag or something. Well, we were we're going to talk about choosing a rod, but since you brought up the silky, that is a great a great addition to your presentation. Why don't you tell people what it is? Kind of describe it to them. Well, it's a it's silk thread. Now, silk is a is actually a protein. It's not man made. It's made by the silkworm, and it absorbs water. And it's just like a piece of thread, a piece of sewing thread. But when it absorbs the water, it kind of expands and becomes real pliable in the water. And we're we're using about one inch pieces of silicone uh, run through a, a silicone bead about the size of a rubber bobber stop, and we just hook that silicone bead on your jig, and it just makes the jig come alive. It's it's, it's amazing. And if people want to see that, is the best place maybe to go to uh, Clam Corp's website. Yes, and you can see some action of the silky. You know, they're you know they're they're hard to come by right now. Uh, you know, you order them from a from a Shields. It seems to be uh, you know getting them in. But the, I said they get them, they sell them out, and the more come in. So it's you know if you can't find them right away, don't give up. And it's it's worth the effort to uh, to try to find them because they really work. And this is in addition to what else you're putting on your jig, right? Right, you can still fish with plastic or live baited. Uh, you know, another thing we're putting them on is the the tikka minnow, which you know, jig and wrap is is the you know the same. And putting it on the rear hook of that, and it it just makes it look alive when it's at rest. That 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 uh, the silk is you know moving in the water. It almost looks like a tail of a of a fish swimming, and it 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 seems like that's when it. You know, when you're jigging aggressively, it's not doing much. But when it's at rest, it makes it look alive. You mentioned the Tika Minnow. Those glide baits like the Tika Minnow, the Jigging Wrap, the Johnny Darter, all those, um, they were the best-kept secret of anglers for about three decades. But, boy, the last 10, 15 years, they have just not only for ice fishing but for open water. Um, what separates the Tika Minnow maybe from some of the others? Well, it's it's one-piece construction, so it's very durable. Uh, you know, some of the issues of some of the, you know, I don't want to pick on any one brand, but the uh, the tails tend to break off of them. And, the, you know, the Tika Minnow is, you know, kind of indestructible and comes in a variety of colors and sizes. Uh, this year, clams made a one-inch size, which is going to be extremely popular for the, for the panfish. You know, it was our number one bait out at, in Idaho last year on, at Cascade for, for the perch out there was the, you know, inch and a quarter uh, Tika Minnow. And yeah. we made one even smaller this year. So the Tika Minnow and the Silky, go to Clam Corporation's website. Take a look at those. If you're an open water or an ice fisherman, these are great presentations year-round. But now let's talk. Of the biggest thing I want to talk to you, I think people misunderstand or misapply 
ice fishing rods. So I want you to take us through how you pick out an ice fishing rod, how you decide what action you need, and all the all the variables you look at. You know, it needs to be a balance between the rod, the line, and the lure. So if you're, you know, fishing with a with a a, a, a heavier lure, something that weighs a quarter of an ounce, you know, three eighths of an ounce, you need a a medium action or or stiffer rod because. You don't want the rod to flex on the end at rest. You want it to be stiff. Stiffness equals sensitivity, so you can seal the seal the the bite. You know, if you got uh, so if you got a, a small jig, you know, a bluegill jig, a perch jig, and you're using three pound line, then you got to have a little lighter action rod so that it protects that line when you set the hook. It it doesn't uh, doesn't break the you know break your line. So it's the balance. If you, you you can't just have one rod and I fish everything with this rod, you know. And, and and line is so important to go with it. You know, if you've had the line on last year and it's been sitting in the garage all summer or in the heat, you know, you take it off now and it's, it's got all these coils in it. You know, you're not going to detect your bites then. So it's that balance between the rod, the line, and the lure that you really need to accomplish. Now, there's a couple points I really want to make sure we go over in detail, and one. One is protecting the line. People think about hook sets. They think about sensitivity, and those are important. We'll get to those. But what you said about protecting the line, now you and I have chased bait fish and pan, I'm not bait fish, but pan fish in areas where it took maybe two-pound test or less to solicit a bite. And there's other times we can get by with four or six pound. Just depends on what's going on. But like you said, that rod, it ha- the the jig itself can't overpower that rod or you'll never feel anything. But, boy, when you go to set the hook, even if it's just on a bluegill or a perch, if you've got a really stiff rod and it doesn't bend, you, you're you going to break the knots on that light line almost immediately, right? Yeah, that's correct. That's why you need a, you know, a, a soft-action rod. But I don't want, I guess we kind of call them buggy whips, where you can take the tip of the rod and bend it down to the handle. That's not what you want, neither, because then you don't get a hook set. You don't drive the barb in, you know. So it's it's you know it's a com- a combination of of all the factors that make you efficient at catching these fish through the ice. Now you mentioned about not having the the presentation itself load up the rod where it's bent, and you know I I think about a lot of people who like spring bobbers or those built in, and I'll occasionally have a. Uh, rod that's in a rod holder that I'm not holding. I may have a spring bobber on that, but boy, it's rare that I use one, especially if I'm holding it in my hand, because if I have the right balance in my rod, that spring bobber is going to keep me from making the right jigging presentation, and it's going to take away my sensitivity. Do you agree with that? Oh, you know, you know, 100%. I tease people, you know, that, that I know about about a spring bobber. I call them training wheels. I don't need training wheels on my my fishing rod. I can detect the bites without it. So it, you know, it, and it's kind of funny. I'll, I'll put it away then and, and get out a good quality graphite rod that that has the feel that you need. You know, you you actually want to feel your lure when you're when you're jigging it, and it's it's little short jigs. It's not uh, you know like a summer jig where you move it you know inches. You, you're just moving it you know a quarter of an inch the, the tip of that rod, and it makes that lure kick you know like the drop kick lure is quite we we named it that it makes it kick and you actually feel that lure almost vibrating in the water and the bite is when you don't feel that anymore 
And you can achieve that feeling if you're using a, a real limber rod or a spring bobber. You're visually seeing it. And not that it doesn't work. You know, you can visually see it. I like to be able to feel everything that's going on down there. No, I agree with you 100%. And my biggest reason for not using spring bobbers hardly at all is the fact that if I move that jig an inch, that spring bobber might bend seven-eighths of an inch, and I maybe haven't moved it at all. And people don't understand that, and they go back down. So if you really want to control your presentation, your cadence, and know what you're doing, a good graphite rod. Now, as you get heavier, you admitted you need to go to heavier rods. If I'm using a good-sized spoon, which we use a lot, or a, a bigger tika minnow, maybe in a larger size, obviously those are heavy baits. I need a heavier rod. The other uh, characteristic rods we didn't talk about was length. Now, a lot of times it's dictated if you're in a shelter or not, but how do you determine what length rods you use? Yes, that is an interesting question because the tendencies now are, are going to longer rods, but it's because, you know, the, the average ice fisherman has already got their assortment of shorter rods. So if you're going to sell them another rod, you got to give them another options. And the length seems to be the... But, you know, if you're in a shelter, you need to you have a, a rod that fits. Even in some of our uh, our permanent fish houses, you know, it's in, in, around this country, we have a lot of ice castles is what they're called. They're a, you know, they're a winter camper. And you, you a lot of times need a shorter rod because they're they got multi-holes in them. Uh, if, you, if you fish outside in real shallow water, that's when I see the tendency goes to longer rods because they want to stand back from the hole farther so you're not casting a shadow over this, over this hole. Because you can't spook the fish because, they, you know, you're up above the ice creating a, creating a shadow over the hole. So, you know, it's all them things to think about when you're, when you're choosing a rod is, you know, how deep of water do you fish? Right. The depth of water. What about line? Um, obviously, the line you use has to be balanced along with the uh, the rod, reel, and lure setup you've got. But do you still fish with a lot of mono? Do you use fluorocarbon? Are you using super lines? Which lines do you prefer, and when do you switch? You know, I prefer straight mono. It seems to... Uh, hold up better, you know, fluorocarbon, yeah, a little piece on the end of your braid is, is all right, but it seems if I use all fluorocarbon, uh, the longevity of it is not very good. It twists easy and it seems to create memory. So I'm using a, a, a mono. Uh, I'd like to look at the line diameter, not not the pound test. Uh, it's amazing that some two-pound test line is the same to, uh, diameter as some other three-pound test line. So the uh, you just got to, you know, pay attention to it. But you want it to be, be limp. You don't want to have coils in it. Uh, you have to be careful when you're catching a fish. Uh, you know, especially the, the the younger kids, younger people. They tend to get a bite to get a fish on, and they just keep cranking. And when you're cranking and the drag is slipping, you're just twisting up that line. Doesn't make any difference what kind it is. It's not good to just crank against the drag. And you know that's you know something to you know, that you have to learn or, you know, teach the uh, the younger generation not to crank against the drag. You know, you made a comment about coils in the line, and I can remember many, many discussions you and I have had about that and using a line that not only didn't have a lot of memory, but the line had to be light enough so that 
if you're using a tiny ice jig, maybe just going for a very super finesse bite, that jig had to be able to straighten that line out and almost feel a thump at the end of the rod, didn't it? Yeah, correct. You know, and, and that's been the, the, the real plus of, a, of all these tungsten jigs that come now because they're small and they still can have some weight to them because tungsten is heavier than lead. And, you know, that's, I, I think that's the biggest reason that tungsten has caught on so well because suddenly people are getting the kinks out of their line, which they weren't before. My friend, we are running out of time. I wish you and I could get back out on the ice together. It's been way too long since since those days up in northern Minnesota where how many Thanksgiving weekends you and I and Claudio and a bunch of guys spent on the ice. It, we just need to make it happen again, my friend. Oh, you bet. You know, I still pretty much fish on ice fishing uh, on Thanksgiving weekend. It's just a matter of how far do I want to drive till I find ice. But, well, we have- you know, this year it looks like I drove in a snowstorm yesterday. Well, you're probably used to that in, in Colorado, but uh, the roads were icy, and, you know, there was that one semi in the ditch, and I thought, well, looks like winter's here. Well, I, I remember our adventures, clawing our way out, trying to find safe ice, testing new techniques, testing rods, testing line, using electronics, trying out new shelter uh, materials. It's a, it's, it was a great run, and I, we ain't done yet, pal. <laughs> uh, no, I'm I'm amazed that we still, you know, you know, find things, you know, some new uh, attachments. I mean, the uh, the clam engineers are, you know, pretty amazing people. And why do they come up with stuff? Like, because they fish. You know, they're out there. We, I, you know, we fish with them, and it's certainly nice to. But I don't have to build this stuff now. I can talk to the engineers, and they got they got a and they shop to build them, and I just go fishing. <laughs> All right, my friend. Well, let's make that happen, Dave. As always, it's great to reminisce with you and also to talk about no one knows more about ice fishing than Mr. Ice Fishing. Great to talk to you again. Okay, thank you, Terry. It's always a pleasure to talk to you and and your listeners. All right, thank you. Dave Gens, Mr. Ice Fishing. Bye. Just a tremendous human being. I've known Dave, uh, oh gosh, I don't even know how many years, how many times we've been on the ice together. Um, Change the game. And we're going to talk more about that yet, and then we're going to talk some open water fishing. All that more coming up on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors, presented by Jack's Outdoor Gear on 1600 ESPN. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors, brought to you in part by T-Mobile. T-Mobile is bringing the out 5g to the outdoor community they've got uh, great coverage especially up in fort collins longmont the loveland region in fact i'll be doing some uh, appearances uh, t-mobile is going to sponsor me being at some jacks locations i'll be at the um on friday i will be at the uh, the jacks uh on 1000 north highway 287 it's their they're a ranch store, farm and ranch store, and I and I believe I'll be there uh, in the in the afternoon evening there, and we'll put those times on Facebook, and we'll also um, there's promos running on the fan all week long, and then I'm going to be uh, Sunday, I'm going to be at uh, Jack's Farm and Ranch and Outdoor Gear on East Eisenhower, the East store, not the new West store, and I'll be there Sunday, and then I'm possibly going to be doing a remote. On Saturday from Jack's Outdoor Gear in Fort Collins when we do the show from the fan, 
We can't confirm that till Monday because we have to get the football game schedule in, but we'll we'll let you know. But we're going to post all this on our Facebook page, Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. So just go there, pay attention, listen to the fan, and you'll hear uh, announcements about all this. And I want to get back. We just had um, Mr. Ice Fishing on, Dave Gentz. And, of course, I, I always have to reminisce. Uh, I think about what we did. There was a, a number of us who were was called the revolution where we changed the face of ice fishing. I was so privileged to fish alongside Dave, Greg Clajo, um, Doug Stangy, just a number of great, great fishermen and ice fishing changed. And we saw people flood to become, and it's becoming every year more and more popular, including here in Colorado. Last time I talked to parks and wildlife about it, they estimated we have about 250,000 anglers that ice fish in Colorado. Now those numbers aren't up to date, so I don't know what it would be now, but there's a number of things to get started that kind of caused that initial hesitation with people getting into ice fishing. Number one is safety. Uh, we will post very soon on our Facebook page, Terry Wickstrom Outdoors, an ice thickness guide. And it kind of tells you when you have good, clear, solid, flexible ice, what thicknesses will support a normal walking person, a snowmobile, a car, those type of things. But those are only guidelines. You have to also understand the condition of the ice. But we'll get that out there for you. And when you need some equipment to get started, but if you're going to ice fish in Colorado, especially on the front range, the very first piece of equipment you need to get is a spud bar. And you're going to hear Nate Zielinski and I talk about this over and over again. Because when early ice, the only way you can really check that ice to make sure you've got solid ice is to be hitting it with a giant ice chisel. It's called a spice spud bar as you walk out. And you can even use use that spud bar to cut your holes with. You don't even need an auger to begin with. So we're going to talk a lot about that. And if you want to see the proper way to use a spud bar, uh, go to Best of Fishing with Terry Wickstrom on YouTube and go to the North Michigan Reservoir Show. A couple things you'll pick up on that show. Number one, I start out the show by using a spud bar to check different layers of ice that froze, and you can visually see they froze at different times of the year, and some of it thawed and refroze. It's very early in the year, so you'll see exactly how I check the ice. The other thing, we give kind of a little clinic in using down-viewing electronics, your standard electronics, and seeing the fish and seeing the lure react. And if you heard Dave talk about a mood indicator for the fish, we, we talk a lot about that. So go take a look at that. The other thing, once you get past where you can just punch a hole with a spud bar to fish, you're going to need to decide on an auger. Now, typically in the past, I would have a hand auger and a power auger. If I'm fishing the front range of Colorado or the lower elevation lakes just for trout, all I really need is a 6-inch hand auger. And the reason for 6-inch is it cuts exactly half the surface area of an 8-inch auger. And... It's very difficult to catch a trout so big you can't get it through a 6-inch hole in the ice. Yet that 6-inch auger, when you have sharp blades on it, will virtually cut as fast as a power auger. And it's so much lighter and easier to carry. And if you don't bog yourself down with extra equipment, you're going to move until you find fish. And that's very, very important. Now, if you're going to go up Gramby later in the year, you're going to want to get a power auger, maybe at least an 8-inch um, but the new electric augers, I probably will never own a gas auger again. I've had several. And the electric 
possibly propane, but boy, am I, the electric augers have gotten so good. The flip side of all of this is I've been talking to my friends at Jack's Outdoor Gear, and they've got in a bunch of ice fishing equipment. But you've heard me talking to people in the industry, and the ice fishing equipment, they're getting in about 40 to 50% of what they normally do this time of the year. A lot of it might not come in in time for this ice fishing season. So if you have questions, if you need to buy gear, you need to do your shopping now. Now, all the Jack's locations are pretty well stocked right now, and they'll get some more stuff in. But, boy, it could go fast. So if you're thinking you're going to start ice fishing, you need to upgrade your equipment, or if you need to uh, buy a Christmas gift for ice fishing, I would get to the stores now and start looking. If you have questions about gear, send me a question. Go to uh, Facebook, Terry Wickstrom Outdoors, and just send me a message. We'll post about it. We'll talk about it. We'll help you because we want you to be safe and we want you to be successful. We're going to take a time out. When we come back, Ronnie Castiglione is into some great fall trout in open water. He's going to talk about that and maybe what's happening with the boat ramps and also getting ready for ice fishing. All that and more coming up on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors, presented by T-Mobile on 1600 ESPN. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors, broadcasting today on 1600 ESPN. You'll normally find us over on the fan from 9 to 11 every Saturday. Occasionally a football game pushes us over to our friends here on our sister station, 1600 ESPN. But as always, we podcast everything. So if you miss the show, you like what you're hearing, you can go to 1043thefan. Uh, com. Go to my page, and you can listen to months and hours. You can spend the rest of your time binge listening to my, my podcast, but probably have more going on in your life than that. But seriously, we do also put a lot of the podcasts up on our Facebook page. We just had Mr. Ice Fishing Dave Gens on with us. We will definitely post that uh, that interview on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on Facebook. So you know, follow us and follow that. A lot more information comes up. Let's go to the phones right now. And joining us, he's a frequent contributor, and he occasionally fills in and runs the show for us uh, with Fishful Thinker, Ronnie Castiglione. Good morning, Ronnie. Good morning, Mr. Terry Wickstrom. How are you doing this morning? You know, I'm doing great. It was hard for me not to reminisce having Dave Gens on. Him and I just spent so many hours on the ice together and thinking about ice fishing coming up pretty soon. But right now, you've still got some great open water fishing going on, don't you? Yeah, you really do, Terry. And, uh, you know, there's an opportunity to get out right, out right now and target a variety of fish in open water, and the fishing is excellent. You know, uh, weather can definitely play a factor this time of year, so you got to kind of watch the weather conditions. And it's been really windy a lot of days up here as of late in northern Colorado, but the fishing's been outstanding when you can get on the water. And I was on horse dew just a couple days back and had absolutely no problem putting a bunch of fish in the boat, Terry. Now, this time of the year, of course, you change your tactics a little bit. Um, you adopt. All, all of a sudden, there's different factors you have to deal with. Where are the water levels? What's the water temperature? And what species are you targeting and how are you going after? Why don't you kind of take us through the process? 
But on a lake like Horsetooth, this time of year, I'm looking for smallmouth, walleyes, and and occasionally trout, depending on whether or not they've been put into the reservoir. Now, I'll give uh, the listeners a little update on, on a Horsetooth. Horsetooth has received a stocking of trout the last few years, and there is a good number of trout swimming around that reservoir. Um, there's a small number of, of pretty big ones that are in the lake, and there's kind of always a, a carryover population of good-sized ones in the lake. But right now, Horsetooth's got a whole bunch of the freshly stocked ones that went in the beginning of this year and some that went in last year, um, and they're very, very easy to catch, Terry. And so there's an opportunity to get out and target those. Uh, when I was on the reservoir, initially I went out and, and ran around and was targeting some of the deep transition areas, the areas around the lake where I could find rock that spills off to gravel, off to dirt. Those transition areas tend to be the areas that I like to target this time of year, and I'm looking for signs of bait fish pushed into those areas. So a lot of times what I'm finding is I'm finding schools of rainbow smelt that are pushed up to those transition areas. If I can find those two things, Terry, if I get on top of them or get in that general area and start working baits vertically or casting baits and yo-yoing presentations back to the boat, uh, a lot of times I can find really, really active smallmouth that are wanting to play and also some really nice walleyes that want to play like that, Terry. So that's kind of what I'm looking for, and that's what I was doing just a few days ago. Now, how much longer do we have access to do that? When do the boat ramps close? So as far as getting a boat onto a lake like Horsetooth and Boyd, both of those are going to close to large boats at the end of the month. So the last day in November is going to be the last day you can get out on the reservoirs. Um, Boyd, once they close the boat ramp, then all the surface water is closed until you get ice on it, and then you can get out and ice fish. Horsetooth, however, once they close it to... Uh, motorized boats, you're still able to do some hand launching of uh, smaller hand launch vessels. So you can get out in kayaks, you can get out in a smaller boat with an electric trolling motor, something like that. And so there's really an opportunity on horse to, to get out and fish from a small boat all the way up until the point where you can't launch anymore because there's ice on the boat ramps and it just makes it impractical to try to get out. But, uh, you know, that vertical presentation is an outstanding approach, and looking at fish with baits like blade baits, spoons, and jigging wraps can be very, very effective from the boat. But you also don't want to sleep on those presentations from the shore, Terry. I can tell you from experience that I get out all winter long on reservoirs like Horsetooth when there's not ice on the main body of water and I get on really, really steep banks that I might have to hike into or some of them I could even park right next to and I get out and I work those vertical-type presentations, but I do it from shore, Terry, and it's a very, very effective way to target those fish all winter long. Um, I've had no problems going out in January, February, and March and catching you know a whole slew of smallmouth and even walleyes and trout from the shore. So as long as there's open water, you can kind of go about that presentation. How you know those presentations from the shore and from boats, Terry? Now, horsetooth has got quite a bit more water in it for this time of the year than normal. Has that changed your approach? Uh, any are there more fish back in the coves? Maybe has it changing how you approach it? Yes, 100%. The lake has a lot more water for this time of year than it usually does. It's anywhere from 15 to 30 feet higher than we would usually see at this time of year. So people, if you're familiar with Horse Tooth Reservoir, a lot of times this time of year the water may only be running 
down into South Bay to right in front of the boat ramps that are down there. Right now, the water's all the way down to the very south end of the lake. So there's quite a bit of water in the lake. And what that tends to do is it tends to spread the fish out around the lake a little bit more. They're not quite as grouped in as I've seen them in years past. And it primarily, one of the big things, Terry, is it spreads the bait fish out. Um, this time of year in years past, we would see a good number of the bait fish gathering in South Bay. A lot of the smelt, a lot of the shad would be gathered in that basin kind of right out in front of the swim beach area. Right now, when I was on the reservoir the other day, there were, there were bait fish in that area. I did see some schools of smelt and things like that, but they were very, very spread out. They weren't as condensed, and I saw bait fish kind of spread out all around the lake. The other thing that does on a, on a lake like Horsetooth, when the water's higher this time of year, it spreads out those areas where I'm looking for those transition points. So if the lake, for example, is 30 feet lower than it is right now, then we have a limited number of those transition points that fall at the, at the, at the depth I'm looking for. So let's say I'm looking for a spot where I have some riprap that falls down and transitions to gravel at somewhere like 40, 45 feet deep. When the lake's lower, there may only be a half a dozen or a dozen spots on the lake that those kind of you know situations are existing when the water's higher terry there's maybe two three dozen spots on the lake that i can run around and find that rock at that depth and what i'm also finding is a lot of those key areas that have worked in the past for those transition areas they're way, way too deep this time of year when the water's high right now, Terry. So the spots I was looking at last year that were 45 feet deep, they're 70 feet deep right now. So that's kind of the deal. There's a, you know, the fish are spread out. It could be a little bit more difficult, but if you run around and utilize your electronics and kind of look for those key things, look for bait fish and look for them pushed to those transition areas, you'll find smallmouth and walleyes with them, Terry. Yeah, and there is still a was a great smallmouth population. I don't think the walleye population is what it was, but there's still catchable fish and some good ones in there. And uh, I and, and I want to bring up something too that Karen and I did. We went out just three four weeks ago. The water was starting to cool, and we were going after some deep smallmouth. And I'm going to admit we didn't get them to go. There had been a bass tournament. They had been catching them 55, 65 feet deep. We found some fish in that 50, 60-foot range, and we were kind of putzing around, but we were trying some glide baits like jigging wraps and Ronnie darters. And um, Those work really good, Terry. We've had a number of those. They've been very successful, although Karen complains she loses too many fish on them. But <laughs> but we we you got to hook them first to catch them or to uh, land them, Terry. Right. So, but you know what? Uh, we, yeah. But we did, Ronnie. Is we 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 weren't very committed to what we were doing that day. We were more or less just go out for the boat for a couple hours, and we didn't get the bass to go. And I get we could have changed tactics. We could have done a lot of searching. But I said, you know what? Let's just. It's a beautiful sunny afternoon. It was beautiful. I said, you know what? There's tons of trout they've been stocking in here. Let's just throw a couple crankbaits out at various depths, turn the electric trolling motor, and troll right down the middle of the lake. And, Ronnie, we couldn't keep those 10 to 14-inch trout off the lures. So if somebody wants to just catch fish, it's just phenomenal right now. Yeah, and it's like that around a lot of the lakes right now, Terry. You know, a lot of the fresh trout have gone in. Horsetooth, they went in earlier in the year. Um, one of the big keys, however, if you're going to go out and try to just target trout right now, speed on any given day is going to be a key thing to getting those fish to bite. It tends to be that a lot of times the trout 
are very active even in this colder water. I mean, a, a trout's perfectly happy in 50-degree water, Terry. They're, they're darting around as fast as they can swim. And so a lot of times uh, when people get out and try to troll and target trout this time of year, they might do it a little bit too slow, Terry. Um, I like to troll when I'm looking for a trout this time of year anywhere from three to four miles an hour looking for those trout. And I'll definitely try to do a lot of zigzags and figure eights on my trolling runs. And that'll key, key me in as to whether or not I'm going too slow or going too fast, depending on, you know, which rod loads up on which part of the turn, whether my bait's going slower or faster. I can tell you just two days ago when I was on the lake, for the last 30 minutes as I came into South Bay, I decided to troll just a little bit to try to make contact with the trout. And initially, I started off at that two, two-and-a-half-mile-an-hour range. Uh, wasn't getting any bites, had trolled for a little while, went to reel my presentations in while the boat was still moving, and immediately started getting bites as I was reeling my lures in, Terry. That clued me into the fact that those trout wanted it moving faster. I bumped that throttle up into that three, three-and-a-half, four-mile-an-hour range, and I had absolutely no problem catching the trout then, Terry. They were loading up every 10, 15 yards. Um, it was a no-brainer at that point. So that can definitely be one of the keys that you need to dial in when you're looking for trout this time of year. Well, another thing, too, is that I found when Karen and I were out is that using small crankbaits, but ones that had a lot of erratic action that really, you know, really had a wobble to them, helped trigger that bite also. Yeah, absolutely. And pumping the rods can also be a very effective way to get those fish to fire um, get a rod in your hand as opposed to putting in the rod holder and rip that thing forward and then let it fall back on slack line and come back to it tight again like that. A lot of times the strike will come right as you rip that bait to the front or when you pause it and come back to it, boom, those fish will be there. So it's that erratic action. It's that triggering. You know, that also can be a key on triggering trout vertically. Um, and that's definitely something historically that I love to do on horse dudes, especially as those trout grow. Uh, that vertical presentation, getting on top of those fish and targeting them, something like a, a three-inch gulp minnow on a quarter-ounce or an eighth-ounce jig head. A lot of days, Terry, when I get out there and do that, dialing in on the speed of the fall and how quickly those fish want me to rip that bait vertically, and that kind of a thing, that can be key on getting those fish to bite. That really translates over to ice fishing. It's the same deal any given day when I get out there on the ice and I go about you know, targeting trout vertically with those same presentations, really dialing in on that rate of fall, and that will a lot of times have to do with the size of the jig I'm using or dialing in on how aggressively those fish want that bait worked vertically. When you dial in those things, Terry, that can make the difference between catching one or two fish or just going through them like crazy, Terry. And I think you saw an example of that last year when we went up to uh, up to the parks there in Red Feather and we got out on one of those lakes. And I think initially you might have started off with a little bit too light of a jig, whereas I was utilizing an eighth-ounce jig. And I might have beat you up a little bit for that first hour, Terry, when we got up there, um, just because I had that rate of fall kind of figured out a little bit better. Once you got it dialed in, you had no problem putting fish on the ice as well. That can be the key on any given day. You know, that speed vertically or that speed horizontally, that can be the big trigger that dials in those fish in order to really get the numbers in the boat or on the ice, Terry. I, I always appreciate it when you remind me of the times you kick my butt. But- <laughs> <laughs> I beat up on you a little bit, Terry. But, you know, like I said, it's kind of one of those deals. 
Um, that's happened a lot of times. And initially when I get out, especially on the ice or on the boat, and maybe there's two or three people on the boat, I often will start off, especially with clients, with several different jigs that are weighted differently just in order for us to dial in that 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 rate of fall and then once one person starts making contact with the fish then we'll go ahead and switch over everybody to those size weights i can't tell you how many times that's been the difference terry all right last last topic i want to cover with you we're going to run out of time but as horse tooth closes to boating at the end of the the month here i'm i'm kind of optimistic that it's going to be one of the better years for just catching trout not necessarily big ones although you might I think it's going to be a great year for people just to want to catch fish, go catch trout from the shore. How do you feel about that? And quickly, how would you approach it? Yeah, they're going to have no problem catching trout from the shore. You can do it right now. You'll be able to do it until ice up. I would get out there, and initially I would be working fast presentations horizontally through the water column, things like shallow running jerk baits and working and ripping them very fast, presentations like Panther Martins or lipless crankbaits, things like that, that put off a lot of vibration that you can work very, very quickly through the water column. Uh, Fly presentations can also be very effective, especially once you've established what area of the lake these fish are in. I would be looking from the banks. You know, access to the lake is the biggest thing. So you got to find somewhere to park and be able to walk in. The inlet area, anywhere in around there, can be very, very good, especially when the water is flowing into the reservoir. Then you'll get a lot of anglers back there, and they'll have no problem targeting fish. Anywhere around South Bay can be very good. Anywhere around the north end of the lake can also be very good. If I'm looking for hiking areas, I'd be looking at steep banks that I can get into and stand on as opposed to the real shallow flat areas. Um, and I would be looking for those transition areas that come off those steep banks. So maybe the area right where that steep bank rolls off into a dirt flat, those would be the areas I would start off in. The other thing to keep in mind about targeting fish from the shore at Horsetooth, this year, Terry, with all of that water level we have in that lake, I would be amazed if the lake even capped. And even if it does get a cap on it, I doubt it's going to cap for very long this year. It tends to take the lake a lot longer to get cold when there's a larger volume of water in it as opposed to when the lake is really drawn down. uh, It gets colder faster and freezes faster when that's the case. So this year, I suspect there'll be open water throughout the entire winter, and there's definitely an opportunity to get out, Terry. I'll be doing it for sure myself. All right. We are out of time, my friend, but let's get out and do some fishing, and we will talk to you again soon. All right, buddy. You have a good one. You bet. Ronnie Castiglione. We're going to take a quick time out. When we come back, we're going to wrap up this edition of Terry Wickstrom Outdoors, presented by Jack's Outdoor Gear on 1600 ESPN. Terry Wickstrom Outdoors is brought to you in part by our great friends at Jack's Outdoor Gear and as you heard on the commercial, I will be appearing at a number of Jack's locations over the next few weeks, uh, at least two next weekend, one at the Jack's on uh, 950 East Eisenhower, and I'll be there Sunday, the 21st. Um, we're going to post the exact times and dates on the Facebook page so you don't have to re- remember these, and that's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors at Facebook. And then I'll also be Friday at Jack's Farm and Ranch in Fort Collins. Now, that's the one out on Highway 287. I possibly, we're trying to get it set up, we'll be doing a remote broadcast 
from Jack's Outdoor Gear in Fort Collins on Saturday. But stay, pay attention to the Facebook page, Terry Wickstrom Outdoors, and we'll get all those dates and times confirmed by, say, Tuesday or Wednesday on the page. So it's up there. Please come by and say hi. I love when we get a chance to visit with the listeners. If you're new to this program, we normally broadcast on 104.3 The Fan from 9 to 11. Occasionally a football game bumps us over to our friends here on ESPN, and then we go from 10 to 12. But we always podcast everything. If you miss it, you go to 1043thefan.com, go to the Terry Wickstrom Outdoors page. Podcasts will be there, and they go back several months. So if there's a certain interview, like today, we started our Masters of Ice Fishing series we do every fall. And we had Mr. Ice Fishing himself on with me, Dave Gens, a very good friend of mine, one of the pioneers of what modern-day ice fishing is. Uh, I will post a link to that podcast on uh, Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on Facebook. A great, great information in that. We're also, along with our ice fishing, the Masters of Ice Fishing, we're going to have guests like Bro Brosdahl, Steve Panaz, Greg Claudio, and others, not to mention our local experts. We have some great ice fishing experts like Nate Selinski, Brad Peterson, Austin Parr, who contribute to the show on a regular basis. We just have a Ronnie Castiglione and uh, some of the other folks, Dustin from uh, Tightline Outdoors. We just have a number of great contributors, and I've done a little ice fishing myself, if you if you look, it tells you I'm really old because they call me a pioneer of modern-day ice fishing. That just means I've been around a long time. But we're going to cover a lot of that information and get you out there safely and help improve your catching fish. In fact, my YouTube channel, The Best of Fishing with Terry Wickstrom, has a tremendous amount of ice fishing on it. And I'd say two-thirds of it was filmed right here in Colorado. Now, we have some in Minnesota. We have some up at Glendo. We have some in other states. But we have a lot of it filmed right here. And even though it's legacy programming that we filmed a while ago, it'll show you techniques that will work in these places. And it'll also give you a lot of good basic ice fishing information. So go take a look at some of those ice fishing shows on The Best of Fishing with Terry Wickstrom. As I mentioned, we're going to be doing a lot of appearances over the next few weeks. Please, I really do like it when you folks come by and say hi. Uh, Karen's usually with me, and we like to talk to people. Now, if we're doing a broadcast, then I have to hang around a little after, but I'm more than happy to do that. I like to talk to people. We want to hear. You know, we haven't had sports shows for a couple years now. I usually get to interact with you at sports shows, so this would be a, a great opportunity for us to interact again. And some of the appearances I'm doing, we're not doing a broadcast. I'm just there to meet, greet, talk to people, and just renew the contact with our fans and the outdoor public. Um, you guys have meant such a difference, made such a difference in my life. You're the reason I get to do this. So hopefully you like the information that we, we bring you. So follow us on Facebook, Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Watch for the Masters of Ice Fishing with the more guests we've got coming up. Go to The Best of Fishing with Terry Wickstrom on YouTube. Look at a lot of those. If you've got questions, get a hold of us on our Facebook page, Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Glad to answer whatever questions we can, and we will be posting ice safety tips very soon on the Facebook page. We're going to wrap things up. We'll let the Eagles take us to the top of the hour and sports on 1600 ESPN. <laughs> 